Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would respond to some patron emails. Uh, this first email is from patron Tara slash, slash Slade. Tara goes by Tara and Slade. But first, let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Again, email from patron Tara. She writes, can you talk about emotional child abuse? Why do parents abuse their children emotionally? What are the immediate and long-term effects? Okay, these are good questions, and I don't think I've ever specifically talked about it. So, so let's let's get into this for a little bit. They'll do a little mini deep dive on this. Um, first off, what is emotional child abuse? Well, sometimes it's also referred to as psychological abuse, and in the literature, there are many inconsistent definitions. And uh, for example, here's one uh, definition. Maltreatment, which results in impaired psychological growth and development. So let's break this down. Maltreatment by you know a parent or guardian, which results in impaired psychological growth and development. Impaired psychological growth and development. I think that would be very difficult to determine. <clears throat> and according to this definition, every parent has emotionally abused their child because... Every child has, you know, both positive and negative effects as a result of the parenting that they went through. There, no parent is perfect. Every parent, um, you know, makes mistakes routinely, and so the or or every parent or the way that every parent and chi- uh, every child come together as a relationship creates a lot of different complications that children will emerge from childhood with with issues, you know? And so this definition I think is too broad. There are other kinds of uh, uh, markers that uh, define what emotional abuse is, such as people who are being controlling of you uh, that isn't physical or sexual controlling. It's emotional controlling. Just being hostile can be considered emotional abuse. Name-calling intimidating behavior, threats of violence or harm, uh, playing mind games such as gaslighting, general neglect, and etc. Um, so let's get into perhaps how the law defines emotional abuse. So in, the, in Washington, the law uh, actually defines quite extensively what is child abuse or neglect. And it's mostly about physical abuse and a little bit about sexual abuse and even less so about what we would call emotional abuse. So let's, let's, I'm, I'm going to read the relevant parts of the law in Washington state that pertain to this. So here we go. Child abuse or neglect means the injury, sexual abuse or sexual exploitation of a child by any person under circumstances, which indicate that the child's health, welfare, or safety is harmed or the, the negligent treatment or maltreatment of a child by a person responsible for or providing care of the child. So to the child. So that's just the general. So let's get into the specific things around, around um, emotional abuse. So far down on the list, we have negligent treatment or maltreatment may include the cumulative effects of a pattern of conduct, behavior, or an action by a parent or guardian in providing for the physical, emotional, or developmental needs of the child, such that it shows a serious disregard of the consequences to the child and creates a clear and present danger to the child's health, welfare, or safety. Uh, 
So most of this <clears throat> applies to situations like you as a parent are not feeding your child or housing your child or taking your child to the hospital when needed or um, you know that that's usually what this law is referring to but <clears throat> in this definition there is a, a little bit that pertains to emotional abuse which is um, serious disregard of the consequences to the child that creates a clear and present danger to the child's welfare you know what what exactly is welfare right so if if you as a parent are you have a pattern of putting the child down, name calling, scaring the child, then that um, is that could be considered emotional abuse. And I've seen CPS react to emotional abuse as uh, you know similarly to the way they would address physical abuse. But this is also a problem because the law and society doesn't really care as much about emotional abuse as it does about physical and sexual abuse. And so the the opportunities or the chances or the interpretations of these kinds of behaviors are um, different than if you actually struck a child. It's, it's sort of interesting. You, you could do just tons and tons of damage to a child emotionally and not have anybody react to you, out, you know, not have the law uh, or the police or CPS get involved. But you strike a child once across the face, which could be damaging for sure. But uh, according to people who go through things like this, they would say, you know, the the worst part of the abuse that I went through with my parents had nothing to do with, you know, when my parent actually struck me or, or spanked me or hit me, that was nothing compared to the ongoing fear and horribleness that came out of their mouth. And, uh, and so, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a problem because it's really hard to define that, right? I mean, every parent will lose their cool sometimes and parents, you know, they, so you can't make name calling illegal, right? Because, or at least most would agree we shouldn't make that illegal because, you know, that's diff, you know. Anyway, my point is, is that when it comes to law, it's it's just hard to f- figure out what to do with this. Okay, well, to me, I in terms of how I define abuse, the word abuse and and emotional abuse is that it has to it has to result in three different possible things. One is is that does the victim feel afraid or unsafe or harmed or damaged in some way? So that's important is to me, it doesn't depend on the behavior of the abuser. It depends on the, on the reaction of the victim. And that gets, that gets a little funny because sometimes some people misinterpret things, but really I'm not concerned about the law because that's not my job. But what I'm concerned about is how to help people after the fact or how to help people in the midst of these kinds of relationships. Um, for example, if, if a parent, if I look at a parent child interaction and to me it looks totally fine, but the child walks away traumatized, then I, I care about that. Right. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try to change that dynamic so that the child doesn't walk away feeling traumatized. Now, should that situation be prosecuted 
I don't know. That's not my job. That's that's for prosecutors to decide and lawyers. But to me, it doesn't matter what the behavior is. It matters more the reaction of the child. Um, is there harm? Is there harm? Is does the child is the child harmed in some way? And another another thing to really think about is is there a later trauma reaction? This is important because a lot of people in the middle of being abused will not notice that they're being harmed. They'll just say like, eh, yeah, no big deal, because they have defense mechanisms that protect them from their difficult feelings. But if, you know, a month later or even five years later or 50 years later, there's still a traumatic reaction, then according to me, that person went through abuse. And if it didn't involve physical or sexual exploitation or harm or contact, then I, I would probably categorize it as emotional or psychological abuse. For, for example, someone can yell at me and call me names and be hostile with me and try to scare me. But if I don't feel afraid, then, then that's just someone trying to scare me, right? If, I'm not, if someone could be extremely abusive to me emotionally, but if it doesn't get under my skin, then I don't categorize that as abuse. I might categorize the person as trying to be abusive or exhibiting abusive behavior. But did abuse occur? I would say no, because I wasn't harmed by it. On the other hand, someone could just look at me funny. And if I have a relationship with that person or that person gives me a certain kind of vibe, then I would call that emotional abuse. The whole Harvey Weinstein thing, because he was known to be a bully and, and scary and he had so much power, there were times when all he had to do was just say a couple words or have a, have a vibe about him and people felt abused. When you look at um, what Head, Head, Nina Headley, Head, Headley, Hedy, the woman who plays Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones, when you hear her account, she was never Harvey Weinstein never touched her or or only briefly touched her back or something as they were in the elevator. She she never entered his hotel room, but she felt abused. She cried afterwards. She's she's probably mildly traumatized by it. And it was all verbal and it was all kind of implied and it was all um subtle vibe that Harvey Weinstein was giving off. And that to me is much more powerful than overt, easily recognizable emotional abuse. And if you've ever been through a situation like that, you know what I'm talking. And I'm guessing everyone has been through a situation like that, whether or not you recognize it as such. But there are people who know how to scare you. And they know how to make you feel afraid through extremely subtle means. And that is, to me, quintessential emotional abuse. To, to make, without, without touching you, without sexual, you know, without any kind of sexual assault or harassment, you are, I guess you could consider sexual harassment emotional abuse if, if the person on the receiving end of that is traumatized by it. So... Um, just as another kind of stark example, one time I was, I was walking out of a convenience store downtown and this, this, all of a sudden there was a man standing right in front of me, this, this big guy. And he 
punched me as hard as he could in the shoulder. Like, as hard. I mean, just imagine a big guy punching you in the in the shoulder as hard as he could and as squarely as, as he could. Just, like, really just connected, you know? And... I remember I was just I was just like, huh? Like and and it hurt physically, right? And naturally it, it was painful. But it was so weird and so sudden and I, I have a certain I have a I have a brain mechanism that kicks in in situations like that where it's just like remain calm, figure out how to de escalate the situation and get to safety. And so I was totally calm and I and I just looked at him and I, I did a real quick assessment and I was like, Oh, this guy he doesn't know me and he probably is suffering from some mental issue right now and has decided punching me is the answer. And he doesn't appear to be wanting to punch me again. Is that happened like in a split second as I'm sort of looking at him, I gave him a, a mental pat down as, as Mac likes to say, um, ocular pat, pat down. Um, and so I just calmly said, okay, and then walked away. And then later I, I thought about like, what was going on? I still don't really know what was going on. I'm guessing the guy had some sort of mental issue that made it, you know, made me um, a target of that. Now, that was physical harm, right? There's just, it's very obvious that the guy, without any reason, harmed me and inflicted pain on me. Was it abusive? No, because I was I didn't feel afraid. I, I wasn't traumatized by it. And it didn't you know, I my heart rate probably never rose because it was just it was just so weird. You know, I just thought, oh, that guy something he's suffering from something and he it my, I feel pain in my arm. You know, it's it'd be the same as if I'm getting my flu shot and I feel a little bit of pain in my arm. Is that a, just because I feel pain doesn't mean that I'm experiencing abuse, right? So I felt pain and I walked away. Now, if someone watched it, would they say that was abusive behavior? They'd say, yeah, that's why would that guy punch that innocent person? It was abusive behavior, but was there harm? No. It was there pain? Yeah, but I, you know, it was just, just transient pain didn't really bother me too much. So again, to me, this just, just my definition, and it's a very squishy one because you have to ask the person to tell you honestly, have they been emotionally harmed by it? Are they, are they afraid? Were they made to feel afraid? And even if they say no, you have to ask them six months later, two years later, did that event cause any long-lasting trauma effects? Because you'll find that, for example, just using sexual abuse as an example, it, if you had a if you if there was a five year old and you had a parent who exposed that child to pornography over the span of a few months or something, you know that there's there's magazines around, there's internet porn or whatever. And if you ask the child, does this you know, you know after viewing your father's pornography, are you harmed by it? Were you made to feel afraid? The child would say. No, it's fine, you know, whatever. But when that child is 25, 35, that's when you also ask, has there been any noticeable pattern in your sexuality and in your relationships that could be attributed to the 
events of when you were five when in which your father exposed you to all that pornography. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of people that will say, uh, yeah. Now, is there a scientifically proven connection between those between the exposure to pornography and a and a, a much later pattern in your sexuality and relationships? No, there's no there's no way to demonstrate that. But in my world, you don't need things to be scientifically proven. You can you can take general guesses and and proceed according to those hypotheses. So. Um, so that's that's so that's my definition of abuse. So, for example, you could go to a ten-year-old and say, "Are you being harmed by the way your parents are treating you emotionally?" And the kid could be like, "No, it's fine. You know, it's not a big deal." And I, and I'll be like, "Are you sure?" You're like, "Yeah, you know, it, it's it's bothersome some sometimes, but but it's fine. I don't. It doesn't really bother me. I um, I've learned to to deal with it. It's fine." But when they're 35 and they come into therapy and we determine that their, their issues of trust, their attachment disruptions, their, their PTSD reactions even are manifesting, then we would look back and say you were emotionally abused when you were 10, even though at the time you didn't really identify it as such. So, so that's what emotional abuse is to me. So what are some examples of typical emotional abuse? Well, one that I deal with a lot is explosive anger from a parent that is unpredictable. This often results in trauma, which, again, meets my criteria for emotional abuse. So we're talking about a parent who was likely mistreated by an explosively angry parent themselves. And they, when they're upset, you know, when you're a parent, there's a lot of opportunities to lose your temper. <laughs> There's a lot of opportunities to get angry, right? The kid runs out into the street. The kid um, spills milk. The kid, um, you know, gets angry and throws something at your head. The kid doesn't go to bed on time. The kid um, breaks your laptop. <laughs> there, There's just, I don't know, those are just examples off the top of my head. There's probably better examples I could think of, but at any rate, or loud noises, right? Your kid is just making a bunch of loud noises. Um, your kid pushes your other kid down the stairs or something. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for you to feel some anger and even often explosive anger where you, you just like this explosive anger just overcomes you. You know, you just, ah, well, if you had been traumatized yourself and or were given a really bad example from your parents about how to deal with that, then then you're you're much more likely to um, be very explosive with that, and children can be very much traumatized by that because kids are you know their kids are mischievous at times and but a lot of times they're just sort of unregulated because they're children they just don't really know what to do with themselves and they're trying to process a lot of different things and and then they're trying their best let's put it that way then all of a sudden their parent just completely comes out of nowhere and scares the but Jesus out of them. And that gets into their neurons to, to, when you are terrified, every time you're terrified, your brain tries to encode that to protect you from later experiences. And so if you rinse and repeat that situation, uh, you develop a pathway in the brain that is PTSD for the child. Anyway, 
another th- sign, I suppose, is feeling like you're walking on eggshells with your parent. This is a very frequent report from emotionally abused children is they feel like they're always walking on eggshells. They don't know when their parent is going to explode. Other kinds of emotional abuse are frequent and harsh criticism that results in harm, right? And that's important because if you have a parent who is critical, but it doesn't really harm the child either in the moment or uh, later on, then then it's not really emotional abuse. But so, but often it is. Often it is taken as harm. Shaming a child that results in harm, or overreacting. You know, just having just having overreactions. So, so basically, you could kind of in my def my definition, you could sort of categorize these into two different things. One is 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 to terrify a child to scare them, and then the other one is to make them feel bad about themselves and make, to shame them. Okay. So, uh, for example, I, I have had a number of clients who were emotionally abused by their parents, one or both of their parents as children. And then as adults, say 30, 35, 40 years old, they come into therapy and they have, they have all the classic PTSD symptoms, even though they were never physically or sexually abused, they were, they were never physically harmed, but be, because of the terror that they went through due to the vibe they got from their parents and the explosive anger, uh, but without being, you know, violent, they, as adults, they have, they have PTSD and they have low self-esteem and, and they dissociate at times and they don't trust people very much. And they have immature parts of themselves and they have trouble with relationships sometimes and they can be explosively angry themselves. So it's it's a very common thing. Okay, so patron Tara, you ask, why do parents do this? Well, there are many reasons, and it's hard to reduce to a simple statement. But in my experience, parents who are emotionally abusive were emotionally abused themselves as children. And I know that's just such a typical thing for a therapist to say, but it, it's it's been that's been the case a hundred percent of the time in in my clinical experience. Are there cases where that wouldn't be true? I'm guessing, sure. But people want to do good in life. They want to treat other people well, particularly their children. And so if they end up being emotionally abusive, there must, be, there must have been something that happened to them, some experience, some ongoing horribleness that happened to someone that would make them go against their human nature in terms of being good to other people. Um, so, but often they are, they have been mistreated and that results in a number of things. One is, is that you end up having a difficult time, uh, regulating your own emotions because you weren't given that space to develop those skills. Also, you just have a really bad model for what parenting looks like. And all of us do what our parents did and, or we try to improve on it a little bit. And if your parents were, uh, very explosively angry, then in your head, it's sort of normal to be explosively angry, right? Um, other things is is you internalize that relationship and then have to defend against it through protective identification and by reenacting those relationships. And if you want more information on that, listen to my episodes on protective identification and psychodynamic theory. Also, stressors can increase the likelihood. Like I said, any parent is capable of emotional abuse, and, and every parent probably is emotionally abusive, at least um, my, in minor ways. 
you know, money problems can stress you out, family conflict, trouble with your child's entering the next phase of life, life like becoming a teenager or moving out of the house, being marginalized as a, as a family by the rest of society. All these things can increase your stress, which can increase the likelihood of any sort of bad parenting. All right, patron Terrace slash Slade, you asked for the effects. Well, there's a lot of psychopathology that is associated with childhood mistreatment, depression, anxiety, PTSD, dissociation, bipolar, psychosis, borderline personality, narcissistic personality, psychopathy, etc. So a lot of the main DSM labels have been associated with childhood mistreatment, including emotional abuse. Also, you can find that there's a lot of attachment problems uh, with people because if your parent is hurting you, your your parent is your main attachment figure. And so you learn that those people whom you are attracted to are also terrifying and scary. That is a, and it becomes basically encoded into your brain. That is a, that will create behavior problems later, that'll create relationship problems later on. Because as you become close to, say, a spouse, you will become very sensitive to them because you're you're worried they're going to hurt you in the way that your parents did. And little hurts will become exaggerated because of the open wounds that you have as a result of being emotionally abused by your parents. Also, other effects that I've mentioned already is is basically you, you just you become um, sort of numb to being mistreated at times. People can become almost in denial. Like I'll talk with people as adults and they'll be telling me a story and I'll I'll react to it. I'll be like, wow, you know, it sounds like your spouse is really treating you badly. It sounds, or it sounds like that friend or that boss is, is being very intimidating. And the client will say something like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. And because to them, that's just the way people treat people. They're, they've normalized it. You know, it's like, well, isn't that what everyone does? Isn't that what life is like? And me on the outside, I'm, I'm saying, no, you don't have to put up with that crap. That's not, that's not fair to you. And you have every right to take action against that. And so that's another effect. Also, all the defense mechanisms can be involved because of the mistreatment, uh, namely projective identification or recreating the dynamic with other people. So you were emotionally abused as a child. And so you grow up and you might become emotionally abusive and or attract emotionally abusive people into your life. So, so those are just uh, some of the effects of emotional abuse. Really the list could go on and on every, in some ways, all psychological problems can be at least in part, traced back to mistreatment um, as a child, including emotional abuse. And so you could say that nearly all problems can be caught, nearly all psychological problems can be caused by emotional abuse as a child. Even things like psychosis is associated with mistreatment as a child. So addiction because you know, you need substances to calm your nerves in order to cope with life, that kind of thing. Anyway, all right, so that was that. Um, and I think I'm just going to 
call that episode emotional child abuse because I talked for long enough to justify this being a, a standalone episode. So let's just do that. That does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Let me know what you think about this. You can email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. That's contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it and you deserve not to be abused and you deserve to recover from abuse. You really, really do. Thank you.